Okay, so we're recording now. Um, it gives me great delight to have Ian Robbins here with me today. I'm going to be the prodder, yeah, the host, whatever you want to call me. Um, I'm my name's Chris Bennett. I'm the Nordics Recruitment Manager here at Evolution Recruitment. And we get your projects delivered through the provision of tech freelancers. However, enough about me. Um, I've been, I've known Ian now probably four years. Um, he's a, one of the senior managers over at iZettle, PayPal. What, what are we calling you at the moment now? I think you're calling us uh, iZettle by PayPal now. Yeah, I've seen Zettle by PayPal I saw somewhere. Right, um, uh, even that slips the tongue, Zettle by PayPal, correct? Exactly. Uh, senior manager over there, but yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, Ian. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, Chris. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, what, where to start? Uh, so I'm an American. I've been living in Sweden for coming on 10 years now. Um, I, I wasn't a love refugee, though. I actually came here um, for work. And I, I, I won't, a, fun, uh, a fun fact about myself is that I've only worked for Swedish companies. So um, my first job in the U.S. Uh, was with a, a Swedish company in, in New York um, and uh, got, got that job right out of grad school. Um, I guess backing up, you know, backing up from there just really quick, I, I had an undergrad degree in, in sociology of all things. Uh, and then I later did an MBA, worthless. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I basically, I guess that got me my first job essentially. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I got into the publishing industry for, for a newspaper, um, called Metro at that time. And this was before kind of mobile was even a thing. So the iPhone hadn't been invented yet. Um, free newspapers were, were a thing. Um, so free is is always good, and I thought that was a really creative business model. Um, disruptive, it certainly was in Europe. And uh, I interviewed with a guy who was the publisher of this newspaper globally. Uh, that was um, uh, he was uh, in charge of the editorial content globally, mm -hmm. based in New York. Crazy Danish guy uh, took me on, and uh, I got to know the company in a kind of a strategic role. And I ended up um, working with the team that built their publishing software because uh, they were at the time kind of combining their newsroom between um, digital and print. And, you know, that was a real messy time for the, for the industry because they, they would have completely separate newsrooms for the two because they couldn't figure it out. Like, what, what, do you, what do you print online versus the paper? Because all the value was in the paper. Online was giving content away for free. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, quickly we realized that, well, the, really the value is doing both together. Um, mm. And so um, we had propri proprietary setup uh, for publishing in, in the paper globally. Uh, so all the software uh, for the paper itself was built in house. And we, we basically built uh, uh, the bridge to that to online publishing. And, and that was all kind of a proprietary CMS that we built. Mm -hmm. uh, internally. So that took me all over the world. It was a lot of fun, you know, working in Russia, working in 
and the Nordics, uh, living in London, um, working a lot in Paris, mm-hmm. um, Latin America. Um, it was a fun time. Um, and it eventually brought me to Stockholm to live. Um, and I kind of left there because um, it wasn't going anywhere fast after after the iPhone. You were there um, a good, good six years, though, weren't you? Yeah, I was there, yeah, close to six years. Mm-hmm. Um, had a lot of different roles. Uh, but left as a product manager, right? So uh, it wasn't a role, to be honest, that, um, that you know, jumping out of college, you thought of being a product manager like you do today. I mean, it wasn't really, didn't even exist probably when I got out of college. It wasn't called that. I think you were probably called a producer or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the industry has changed a lot. And, um, and yeah, so I, I got my chops as a product manager there and left and then joined Spotify here in um, Stockholm in about 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, early early product team uh, there. Um, so yeah, a lot of, lot of fun war stories working at Spotify for another n- nearly five years, um, you know, working across uh, different, various different teams, artist experience to, you know, early machine learning projects uh, with discovery. Um, did a lot of really interesting things there, uh, mainly what they would call in their consumer consumer alliance, I think they would call it uh, today. Um, so yeah, and that that really kind of gave me, you know, I guess really, I really learned product development at Spotify, you know, that's where I really grew up with with this. And I think I just naturally like product development just kind of naturally fit well with me because I think, you know, good product people ask lots of questions. You're like mm-hmm. just really curious people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think looking back, you know, um, I, I literally I would get almost punished in the house because I asked too many questions. My, <laughs> my parents couldn't stand it. They were like, you're crazy. Quit asking questions. Yeah. And so I was just always asking questions. And then you kind of like going on to like get a sociology degree. It's really asking more questions, right? It's like all about research and trying to understand why, like how people behave the way they do and trying, you know, the whole philosophy or the whole standard in that. uh, And that um, discipline is about uh, the industry, about society being, you know, driving that, why why we behave the way we do rather than the mind, which is psychology, right? So, yeah. Why, why, That's... why was it you moved to Izettle then? So you do, um, you worked at probably Stockholm's most notorious company at the moment, yeah, Spotify. Uh, you do a really good stint there again. Was it about four years? Um, why, why were you joining Izettle then? Um, well, it was really about the mission, getting the opportunity to work with small businesses. Uh, I've always been kind of mission led. Um, and uh, if I don't have like a really strong kind of connection with the mission, then it just doesn't, it's not going to work. And so with, with Izettle, um, my, my wife runs a small business. Um, I could see the struggles that she was having day in and day out mm-hmm. trying to, you know, connect her business to help like connect the software that runs her business to other software that she needed. And that was a struggle. And I thought that was an, you know, that that's the future that those things start to become more connected and um, out of the box working for small businesses so they can just grow and not waste all their time, 
like with operations, um, focus on getting new customers. And so Izettle was literally just a payments company when I joined, but they said, you know, this is, we see this as the future. And uh, I was fully on board and got involved in solving that problem and dug in the last five years. And it's been a lot of fun still doing it. Fantastic. So that leads us quite nicely uh, to the topic of today's conversation, which is building a data-led fintech organization from scratch. Um, so first of all, one of the questions I had when I was preparing my notes was, why is this like fintech different to any other sectors? Yeah. yeah. Like what areas do you kind of need to consider? Yeah, sure. Well, first, if anybody has any questions uh, from today, you can just like DM me on Twitter, Twitter, for example, at, at irobin2. Um, probably I'll say some stupid things, uh, but I'll put it. Uh, I'll put it on that, the. Uh, <laughs> I'll put it on the podcast and the notes or something. Yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, why is it different than any other sector? I mean, I think there's context here is important, right? Like mm -hmm. every every industry is going to be different. And, and in joining a fintech organization for the first time, you're seeing new acronyms that you haven't seen at, <laughs> you know, in other industries, right? So wasn't familiar with like, what is CPV, TPV, KYC accepted, minimal users, and many, many more, right? Mm -hmm. um, not so important that people know what those are in this conversation. They're, they're just, they're basically uh, KPIs. Yeah. Uh, and um, TPV happens to be kind of, that's uh, total payment volume. That happens to be like the most important thing at Izettle. So that'll come up more, I think, as we talk about this topic. Um, but so, yeah, I think, you know, then it comes to really the value metric of payments, which TPV is, you know. Um, I, I guess in, in, um, in the industry and FinTech, really, if I would guess, um, probably most of these companies would have like a similar metric to TPV, something money related, right? It's fintech. So it's going to be something sort of money related, most likely. That's my guess. But people give me give me your feedback there. Um, and that may be that money related metric might be something that like people find in common in our industry. Um, and a value metric matters, right? Like it's literally the measurement that defines retention. Um, so, uh, and, and a lot of things are then based on that. So um, that's to say that, you know, you, you come into iZettle and it, we don't consider you an active user unless you're taking payments with us or else we might be, you know, reporting a number that's like, oh, these are the number of signups we got, or these are the number of people that logged in but that would completely mask the overall kind of like value of what Izettle is driving. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be doing us any, any favors and, or anybody else that would look, we're looking at that, you know, how many active users do you have? So that's, that's the, like the definition. Um, but how do you influence taking a payment is really like the, the first question you want to, that I was certainly asking myself, like, mm -hmm. especially with an in-store solution, like you can, you, how can you possibly influence when and how people spend their money? And in the e-commerce world, like for context, I think it's easier to imagine 
what, what ways of doing that tricks and ways because you're like if you're if you're working on optimizing like uh drop users so that they don't drop carts right like if they they're going to check out but there's so much friction in checking out they're like i ah, can't be bothered right i'm gonna go read the news or do something else mm -hmm. that can happen but when you're in store and there's a customer that's literally has the intent to buy something in the store they're probably going to wait the extra time right yeah yeah so yeah. how do you influence that um and uh you know on the on the on the surface it can you can feel a bit helpless about that um you know you can't bring uh customers for on behalf of the merchant for them to take payments and this is really different than like coming from you know from spotify right where um my experience was you know like the related metric at spotify was you know was plays like how can we influence the number of plays that people are having on our platform okay. which is which is ultimately the value metric there um makes a lot of sense um and but you can imagine actually influencing that right like you can you can um make the service much more um uh personalized so that you're more likely to play that music or you can reduce friction to find you know find the right music that you're looking for et cetera et cetera yeah. you're going to influence that metric uh which directly affects retention the same isn't directly it's not the same problem so this was this is the first thing i think that makes the things uh uh unique yeah. um and uh and I think, you know, just to go into it a little bit more for people that are kind of working in different areas of a company, right? Um, I, I guess you might, you might ask yourself, like, where am I working? Like, if I'm working in the growth organization, then this problem is a little bit different than, than my perspective. I actually work in the retention side of the business, the engagement side of the business. So how do we drive that engagement? On the growth side, then you're you're you might be working with getting users set up so i just want to point out that like of course like uh directly there um it's obvious that you know uh just getting a, a card reader into people's hands uh is going to help uh is going to help this problem right like mm -hmm. yeah. i would call that the an environmental trigger like it turns out that once you know you've gotten a user all the way through a KYC, the know your user, you know, and uh, filling out all the all the information that they need to do from a compliance perspective, and then you've gotten them to buy a reader, and then they've gotten that reader in their hands, this environmental trigger, they're going to use it. They're going to start taking payments with it, and so you're solving. You can solve a lot of problems there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, and and I guess like. I guess I would add on that on that topic, you know, it's just really interesting um, what Izettle did just to share like a little interesting story. Mm -hmm. Izettle um, uh, has thought contrarian in some ways. I would say like um, in, in this perspective of, okay, getting a card reader into people's hands, most, um, most people, um, most, most most of the competition give away card, card readers for free. Izettle used to as well. Mm -hmm. So you have SumUp, you have Square. They're giving, they're giving card readers away for free. Now, the card readers aren't as good quality, 
but they they do it for an obvious reason, right? You're going to get a lot more customers in if you do that, right? Yeah. But the contrarian point of view was, well, what if we start charging a nominal fee for that card reader? What will happen then? And I said, oh, we decided to take a bet on that, and we did that. And what happens is that if if you're opti if you're optimizing for MAU, like monthly active users, it's probably not a good decision to do that. Yeah. But if you're optimizing for like total payment volume, Actual well, money. it turns out that was a pretty good decision because the retention rate goes up, the quality of users it goes way up uh, just by adding a little nominal fee and being able to charge that because your reader's better, right? Mm -hmm. Then the mechanics of that funnel get way better and you're gonna you're gonna really impact things like retention, but I guess this conversation that I'm gonna be dri like driving a lot now on mm -hmm. this topic is really gonna be about engagement, right? Then how do you take that engagement forward? Because that's just like getting the right users in, getting them set set up. But how do you actually influence good things to happen from there on? And that's uh, I think a lot of probably a lot of um, folks in our industry share that challenge and i was going to talk a little bit about you know our our journey there but yeah um, yeah, take, yeah i mean take us but, take us on that journey then take us on that journey so let's think 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 of the topic we're building a data-led fintech organization from scratch and the amount of fintech uh, companies that are just coming out of nowhere at the minute it's quite a popular topic uh, and so is data at the minute data seems to be um a buzzword in its own at the minute yeah people yeah. hiring data engineers all the time and some people don't even know why they're hiring data engineers they just yeah. said they need one um so talk us through that journey yeah um from scratch cool. like, how does it look like when did when did it start by the way Ian? well i mean we knew from an early you know from very early that we had to figure this out and this is from my my um my perspective right coming in and working with engagement like um i mean for, first of all it's, it's impossible to build an outcome oriented organization without doing this so you just know uh, we need to measure ourselves so how are we going to solve this problem um and um and you know i mean otherwise the company's not going to continue investing in you if you're if you're not able to like go back and show look what we did Right, so it's it's obvious to anybody that's working in product, you need to do this. Um, and I'd say, you know, what we, you know, our it was it was also clear what our mandate was, right? Like PayPal or iZettle, uh, now owned by PayPal, um, had decided, you know, um, that we're going to build a, a point of sale because we'd learned a few key things you know around our space that you know point of sale was really owning the customer mm -hmm. and it would be the only place that we could really build a deeper relationship with our customers right so let's see there's like there i would say there's about three stages yeah and i would say um the first stage is um first you got to understand what what you know and what you don't know and then you got to fill in the blanks because there's so many of them and it's, it, is, is that though um tough for people to admit though because a lot of people are scared of admitting what they don't know and kind of brush over it especially if they've been successful before was it not a challenge early on to do that sorry it was it not a ch challenge early on to do what 
to kind of brush over, to kind of just fully admit what you do know and what you don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of people brush yeah, over. Okay. What they, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, sure. But I mean, you know, we're, you know, professionals. And I, again, you know, like you're not in this business if you're not into like asking a lot of questions. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so you just, that's just natural. And, you know, I, the thing, the thing that you can't do in this, in, 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 you know, the thing that you can't be afraid of is failure. If you're, if you're afraid of like, oh, well, if we uncover bad numbers, yeah. then, you know, then what are we going to do now? Like, then you shouldn't be in our business. Like, <laughs> that, that's just not what we, what we worry about. Like we just, we know we're, we're always optimists and we're going to figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. So, and you know what, Izettle always had a strong, um, ever since I've been at Izettle, I've always been, it's just been a strong company on collecting and measuring its performance. So I'm not, I'm, so I, I'm not saying, you know, uh, that, that wasn't happening and that, 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 by the way, this whole conversation isn't about me. This is really about eyes at all and the journey mm-hmm. there. It's my, my, the context, I guess, is from me. Yeah. But, um, so there was a ton of data to dig into and, um, you know, like the whole point around the payments use case, very well known at the company. Um, uh, and so, you know, getting users set up to take payments, very well known. Um, but I figured, you know, since, okay, we know a lot about payments, but we don't seem to know much about anything else. Like, okay, people take payments and then what, like that, like that, what was like, basically why I was like that. Any, it's basically everything else. I was, I was sort of like one of the people, you know, hired to kind of help figure out. And so <clears throat> to help fill in those blanks, you know, we looked into, you know, you, you need to take some, you know, regression analysis, essentially need to really dig in with an analyst over, you know, months to figure out uh, what's really driving your engagement in your product. And um, that's going to really, that's going to give you some, you know, correlations that are going to, um, that that are that you can then speak to your team about if you do if you do these things then it turns out that uh customers are more likely to retain or they're more likely to you know uh, maybe some examples like um we we set up some engagement level metrics from these regressions and um you know we we have a pause so uh, so in a POS system, a point of sale system, then you can, you know, add products, you can, you can check out things, you can, uh, add customers, you can, you know, uh, check your reports and things like that. So, uh, our, you know, regression analysis showed like, uh, turns out if you, uh, add 10 products to your library, or if you check your reports 20 times and those, then those things are that those levels of engagement um, indicate very high quality users that tend tend to retain. They tend to be you know higher TPV. So you know if you do those things, will that happen? No, there's no like causal effect here, but they correlate, right? So mm-hmm. um, so communicating that teams was really the first step. Okay, these are cohorts that we're tracking of users that um, are you know. Th- these are good behaviors. Um, so let's try to get other people up to that level. And it was a good start. Um, and then we started to fill in kind of like our mental model for how we increase uh, retention in our product. Yeah. 
-hmm. And that, um, you know, I really suggest uh, taking a framework off the shelf. Like, don't just try to like invent stuff yourself. It's just much better if you take frameworks. And so we use the Reforge framework that um, is starting to be pretty well known in our industry, definitely well known in Silicon Valley. Um, you can, you know, take people and uh, they can, you know, you, you, they have classes so you can you know, train your staff with Reforge. Um, and they have a whole, you know, it's, it's essentially an education on um, retention and engagement and these uh, and growth. Um, and so we used uh, their, their framework and um, to get up to speed. And, um, and our view really is our strategy is to increase engagement by onboarding users to new use cases of Isidol. So beyond payments, essentially, you start with payments and then we onboard you to new use cases that, that you get value out of Izettle. Um, and that's that's fits right into the, the Reforge framework uh, model. Um, there's there it turns out there's there's not an infinite way number of ways you can increase retention. It's very slightly between industry, but it's going to be, um, you know, there's there's only a certain number of. A limited number of ways that they've really identified. Um, and so, I mean, what we learned in, in that process was also like a, adjusting, like broadening our value metrics. Like I, at, at Spotify, I was really used to, you know, retention, like uh, monthly active users, uh, making sure that you're correlating all the way up to that. Um, at at, at iZettle, um, it's, it, it's actually been, uh, TPV has been a good corollary um, in this case. So like payment volume, uh, that that tends to be our best user, you know. So you could be taking like $5 payments and stay with us for life. But um, but is that really that valuable for, for iZettle? I don't yeah. think so. Like we want you to be taking lots of payments. So TPV. Um, and, you know, I think like ultimately to like, to kind of like square up your question here, I think yeah, yeah. like, just think like in, in filling in the blanks, it's a lot for your team, you know? So they understand the context of what being data led means, like that it's 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 correlation, it's not causation. Um, having a simple model to understand, like literally like what we're doing is, is product 101. Like we're observing um, in our data what the most successful users do with iZettle, and then just figuring out ways to get everybody else to be that successful, right? And um, does that mean that we can like force them to have more customers to be that successful? No, but we can kind of like understand what successful users do and then cater to those needs. And then yeah, yeah. The, the future successful users will then come into our service and then boom, it's magic. They, they, it works really well. How, how many people, was this the whole of iZettle doing this at the time? Yeah, was this a company-wide uh, analysis or was this your section? Talk us through that. Yeah, so I guess that kind of comes, that's natural because that kind of comes into the second stage. I mean, yeah. of course, there are lots of people that are working on this because we have like analysts, we have a whole an analytics department um, and, you know, folks and there's, you know, growth teams that are working on stuff that, that I didn't work directly with. But um, I would say like uh, teams didn't actually work with this stuff until we started to bring some of that context 
and then made it very clear that we wanted to build together, you know, an experimentation culture. We weren't about like building like a feature factory that, okay, you just need to build this new feature. And then that's the success factor here that you did that faster than last time. Yeah. Like the, the way to really kind of build a successful company and product is really autonomous teams. I really believe strongly in that. And an experimentation culture that's that understands okay this is where this is what we want to like achieve in terms of outcomes and then we're going to head there and until you start kind of like giving teams context about those outcomes then you're not going to get that but once you start that conversation it magic things happen so um you know i think you know we found that embedding analysts into teams worked really well uh, that, you know, we even like took some experimentation consultants or one, um, friend from Spotify actually and yeah. embedded them into teams. Um, and, you know, teams st did started running AB tests, not just like as a thing, like we did an AB test last quarter. It was like, you know, we're doing AB tests. We're planning AB tests as part of our every day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I definitely don't think, you know, you have to have like a mindset about what, what that is. It's going to be different in different setups. I mean, at Spotify, it, was, it became something else. I think I Zettel, I still, you know, have like a, I still have like, uh, you know, it's, 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 Izzettle is doing it in its own way. It's not quite, it's not quite, it's going to be different. It looks different. It's, yeah. Because it's funny, like we see CVs, a lot of people from Spotify, it's just got AB testing written all over it. <laughs> yeah. Seems to be massive on it. Seems to be massive on it. Yeah. But you don't That's actually cool. see, you don't actually see that in a lot of other uh, profiles that we see. Um, so is where is Izzettle on that stage? you think is it just a different stage or are you aspiring to be uh, like spotify in, in in the way that you embed a b testing or i mean uh so how to answer this i think you know i think basically our main goal is an a b testing our main goal is experimentation and because okay. i mean when you think about it like of course experimentation is a part of it i mean before mm -hmm. before i joined i just want to be clear like izettle was in these engagement in the first team i worked with they were already doing experimentation but it was all happening in the discovery phase they were like going out talking to customers you know really like prototyping stuff and then they would like get to a point where okay we've learned a lot here and now we're going to build this thing okay yeah, yeah. and that was experimentation but then it kind of stopped Then it was okay. We shipped it and we don't really know how it performed. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, so it, experimentation there is not just AB tests as well. It's also like understanding, okay, what did we, what did, where, where do we get, like, what was the outcome of that? What are the, what are all the options that we could do to kind of like, uh, make this better. And in some cases, maybe we're going to ship a test in other cases, it's going to drive more discovery. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's kind of, it's kind of like a, I want to make that a, a broader topic. Um, but you know, and one thing related here, by the way, is that um, we could see in our data that okay, look, you know, there are you know features, feature level engagement here, like I mentioned to you before. But there's a bigger thing at play here that's happening, and that is that people use Izettle for more than more than just 
it's several use cases beyond payments already. And yeah. so we thought, okay, well, POS is a use case. No, POS is not a use case. They they sell with insights. They uh, they have you know the checkout is a use case. Like web informing your checkout on customers is a use case. Uh, connecting to partners are a use case, and all these things have value uh, for our customers. But we had no accountability on that level. So like basically figuring out a way to add accountability on a use case level was the next challenge that we went through, and that kind of like that kind of brought us into even, you know, those, those areas that had accountability to add their own kind of mini North stars in their area with multiple teams to focus on, you know, this is the thing that we all do together. It's not just one team that can affect this. It's several teams and let's like, you know, work together. And so, yeah, so collaboration came into effect here, right? So it's a, it's, it's great what, what happened there. So who, who brought in this North Star framework that you mm. kind of mentioned there? What, well, what was the plan? How, how, how do you put something in, like, in place right. like that? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so really that's, that's kind of like, that's kind of a phase that we're in now, I would say. I mean, we, um, we took a framework that was called uh, Amplitude's North Star framework, um, okay. and the teams used that internally um and uh and it's a great one right like uh so what is a good north star a good north star is a leading indicator rather than lagging right like it's it's leading so when you change it it's going to tell you pretty quickly it's not going to tell you in three months that you did a good job three months ago um it's something teams that teams can conceivably affect it tells you whether or not you're achieving your strategy um that's actually an important one that a lot of people don't really think about but you could have lots of strategies to improve tpv but how do you know you're improving tpv right like that your or that your strategy is effective at that like what if you know some teams are doing something completely different and uh that's actually what's affecting tpv anyways mm. um and ultimately, you know, a good North Star is not hiding failure. It should show you, like, if you're not successful, again, don't be afraid of that. And so uh, this North Star uh, framework really kind of made that clear and uh, the value of North Star. So the team started, uh, areas started using that at IZettle. Um, but then, you know, now that's influenced us to do this on a, on a company level, you know, TPV, is a great company metric. It's a, in my view, it's like the ultimate like business metric, but it's not a product metric. It's not a product North Star. Mm. So, uh, so it's not gonna answer those questions for you. It's not leading indicator. It's not telling you whether you're achieving your strategy. So we've started to look into that. Um, and really that's, that's like, I think the next, the, this, this, this next phase for us is really, um, uh, figuring that out and rolling out a North Star metric for us. It's a product North Star uh, that uh, aligns uh, all the different alliances at Izettle, like growth and you know our alliance and and the POS alliance, etc. So uh, have, have cool. you have you gotten um, an inclination or an idea of what that's going to be? Yeah, yeah, I do, but I I'm not I can't share. Can't share. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we don't, we don't know fully. There's a few, there's, there's some, some proposals there, 
But essentially, I think it's going to combine. I can just share. It's going to combine um, our our re, our retention metric, which is payments, yeah. and then some level of engagement on top of that. So, um, so yeah, I think like we really we really like uh, have debated a lot, like the difference of um, the value retention. Uh, payments is our lifeblood, right? So. Uh, if we started to create like a secondary retention metric uh, to payments, it starts to do weird things. Um, mm. it, it, it just doesn't necessarily work in my mind. And so I think the way that we would go would be keeping our you know same retention metric, but then adding an extra mm. kind of level of um, you know, engagement on top of that, that we think is really necessary that also speaks to what our strategy is trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, I guess what I could, what I could share. So for the companies kind of out there, the listened to your journey there. Yeah. And where Isis is a very, very popular company in Stockholm. Yeah, um, and other places in the world, but uh, speaking on behalf of Stockholm, everyone knows it. Everyone knows it's got a good culture as well. A lot of people say that about Isetl. But is there any kind of lessons learned, anything you would have done differently during this process? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, Isetl is a great company. Um, mm. Let me just think. So, um, yeah, so. The first one I would say is um, em- embracing off-the-shelf frameworks and training your teams as early as possible. Because uh, you know, don't 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 try to fiddle around too much, like reinventing the wheel. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can read and really get inspired from, and then yeah. it works. And then your teams can read that, and they, you know, like, it just happens much faster. Um, so, which which frameworks then- would you? A suggestion. Yeah, so I mentioned um, the Amplitude North Star framework. Amplitude is our analytics product, by the way, um, and they have a North Star framework that they've written about. Uh, really good read. It's free online. Um, and then the Reforge framework was the retention framework I mentioned. That's going to cost you some money. Um, it's it's probably a couple thousand dollars to do a training for each person. You can get group things and stuff like that. You can get access like licenses to their, to their soft, just to the classes without taking classes, a lot of flexibility there, but just check out reforge.com. It's really good. Um, Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that would be the first, I guess, is embracing these, you know, frameworks. And then uh, another thing I would say is that uh, it's not just a product thing. Like, uh, I think we have a tendency to think, okay, yeah, now we got to get training for product managers and blah, blah, blah. But this is a cultural shift that's going to go across tech product and design. Mm-hmm. And so embrace it, like get everybody, like encourage everybody to take uh, classes uh, to get involved in understanding how you're going to be data led, like giving them the context or else you're kind of missing out there. Like product managers definitely do a great job of like, kind of being the glue in the company and pushing things, but leadership needs to make sure that everybody's feeling included here. Um, and um, what else can I think of? Uh, yeah. How, how early did you get the um, kind of North Star framework done? Would, would you have kind of implemented that sooner or 
done that quicker or if, if, you, if there's companies out there being data led do you think they get the north star really early on uh so everyone's talking about <laughs> everyone's everyone's talking about honestly from uh, from my view two years ago everyone wanted a machine learning engineer and an ai engineer from me and they never knew why yeah uh, and now just, just a massive spike of companies saying right okay we need to become more data led we need to get more data in and we need to analyze that data yeah mm. so this is a very hot topic at the moment so there's gonna be a lot of people out there that are gonna be a year into this journey they're gonna be five years into this journey and not realized it and not done anything about it so just like wonder if there's anything that they can well, learn from you Ian. Yeah, well, I mean, on that topic, I mean, we're definitely, we're definitely working with machine learning uh, and experimenting with that in our alliance now. Um, and, you know, I'd hope to say that, you know, our, you know, North Star efforts have, have helped that. Um, but it, it's obviously, it's more than that. Um, but uh, you're going to, essentially, how do you create a a data a data product for example that would be a different topic how do you create a data product from scratch rather than a data-led organization that would be that would be a topic in itself we could probably run as well because that's mm -hmm. something that we're we're you know the challenge that we're looking at and then there the, the similarities i would say are well what what are the of course what is, what is it you're trying to achieve and you know then you have similar things to say here right you have your you have your North Stars and things like that. I, my my only uh, feedback there is that try not to go so big. Like you don't need to aim so high with those types of projects because um, you're just setting yourself up for failure in a way. Like you need to figure out at a very basic sense what is valuable for our for merchants. Some measurable ways to see what that value is. Is that returning to see this like if you're if you're personalizing a view, if you're uh, if you're adding a recommendation, or if you're adding a new you know data report or you know like a trend or something like that, if like maybe a simple success is that um, people come back and view that more than once, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be contributing to some big North Star metrics. Mm -hmm. um, so I would just say start simple and be happy with that in, in those types of projects. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, um, people I, pick, picking simple targets isn't a common thing in your world. Yeah, yeah. It seems to pick like quite aggressive, but, especially some CEOs out there who are listening. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I was just thinking of a few other things, like, um, I mean, just and other things that, that were challenges just off the top. You can mm. tell I love this topic, but yeah, you um, tell you're passionate about it, Ian. I, I, I definitely love this topic. Um, so I was glad that we we decided to do something on this. But yeah, yeah. Um, but you know uh, at at Isidal, you know um, I kind of I kind of mentioned this before, but like the goal hasn't been to necessarily move retention with the test uh, or move TBV with the test. Hmm. Uh, coming from the consumer world, that sounds like totally wrong like that sounds like you're not doing anything then right like because in at, at spotify with that context you can 
you can prove right there whether or not you're moving retention because of the mechanics of the product. Like mm. it's just, you made people play more and you also measured that that effect all the way to retention for that audience. And they played at least one more time than the cohort that didn't have that test, right? So there's like, the same can't be said for payments. Like we can't make them take more payments. So. Mm. Um, so our goal is is not that, and I, I would just say be realistic when you're setting up uh, the, uh, frameworks and North Stars and things uh, that it doesn't have to be like the same at every company. As long as you know what value is and you know how that's being driven in your models, then you're good. Um, and don't stress about tooling. That's another thing that a lot of companies stress about. Like they're mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't have the budget or you know, our tool sucks for this or whatever, but just get started. Like you're yeah. not gonna get anywhere unless you get started. Um, and then also I would just say uh, work from habit, like work from um, a mistake that we made was we started out on like the, the habit side and we said, hey, here's like a big habit that we wanna get you to. So you need to check reports 20 times. But we said nothing about like the activation side of that habit, like, okay, but maybe just checking the report one time is a start. And, what what and do you mean by the activation that. side? What do you mean? I mean, like, um, if you're only observing users getting to like a certain really high level of engagement and that's mm -hmm. success, then you're missing the point. Like you're like you, there's, there's an earlier part of that journey where, um, maybe, uh, just you needed to reduce a little bit of friction in the product so that they, uh, or you needed to educate them a little bit about uh, the value of doing something earlier on in the journey that would then later much, much faster result in them getting to that that uh, to that that habit that you want to get them to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you need to measure what that is. You need to know what that is. You need to measure what that is. And that took us a little while to kind of get there. Love so, to see him. Love yeah. your passion. Love your passion Thank about you. it as well. <laughs> normally, normally I do ask people at the end of this, like, what's your passion? But I don't think I need to. <laughs> I think it's clear what it is. Um, Ian, that's been incredible. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, like I said, what I'll do with the podcast, everyone, I'll put Ian's Twitter. Is there anywhere else that people can reach you, Ian? I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. You like yeah. Twitter? Cool. Cool. Right. We will leave it there.